All right, guys, if you brought your Bibles this morning, we're going to be back in Hebrews chapter 12, and I would encourage you to open up to follow along with us as we, uh, as we kind of make our way through the end of this book. We've been walking uh, kind of verse by verse all the way through the book of Hebrews, and we've reached a really cool part today. It's a part that may seem obscure at first, but in order to understand today's passage, we've got to keep it in the context of the whole book of Hebrews. Remember, the book of Hebrews was written to uh, people who had become Christians and yet we're being drawn back into Judaism and back to the law and back to those rules and regulations of the Old Covenant. They are, they are, are there. And, and last week we kind of hit a crescendo, a high point in the, in the message where uh, he, he switches from giving them the facts of who they are in Christ to this call to begin to put it to work in their life. And last week he said to us, he says, don't be weary in your struggle against sin. And, and that's hard to do, man. We wake up every morning and, and sin just comes after us and it, it chases us and pursues us. And, and sometimes we are a willing victim and other times we are fighting the good fight trying to hold our own. But he says, don't grow weary in this struggle against sin. He says, let me remind you that God is your father. That not only does he love you, but he has accepted you and made you his very own. By grace, he has claimed you to be his child. He, he talks about the fact that, that God is our father who is, who is uh, d- discipling us and disciplining us and training us to become more and more like him. So that the, the godliness that, that the father desires eventually shows forth in our lives. And we concluded last week with the the passage where he says, Therefore, lift your drooping arms, strengthen your feeble knees, make straight the path before you. And it was a call for us to be able to, 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 to be strengthened in the Lord, to be able to, to finish this race. We talked about the race that we are in. It is more like a, a relay race, and others have come before us, and they've handed us the baton. And now we are running our race, and we're going to hand that baton off to our children and our grandchildren and our neighbors, and they will run part of that race as well. And so it's this thing that we are in. And he says, I want you to, to lift your drooping hands, to strengthen your feeble knees, to make straight the path that's before you. And then the question hits us, all right, how do I do that? How do I strengthen myself when I am, I'm, I'm weak? How do I lift my hands? How do I strengthen my knees? How do I make straight the path? How do I do that? Where do I find the strength to continue when I've used up all my strength? Today's passage answers that question. It answers the question, how do we strengthen ourselves? How do we find the motivation that we're going to need to press on and to run this race that God has put us in? Today's passage kind of seems obscure and and maybe even confusing at first glance, but it's actually a a pivotal passage in the the book of Hebrews. It may be one of those moments where it's kind of obscured and, and you don't really see it or you kind of read through it and go, well, that didn't make much sense. Let me get on to something else. But, but this is really going to tell us how that we are to run the race and how that we are to stay strong and how that we are to keep our eyes focused upon Jesus. So this is the question today is, is, is the one that we want to answer is, how do we do that? How do you remain faithful day after day, week after week, month after month in your relationship with Jesus? If you're anything like me, your relationship with Jesus looks a lot like this. And then, and then here, and then up and down. How do, we, how do we level this thing off to where we are walking with the Lord consistently day after day? How do we do this? And so today's passage helps us to be able to do that and to be able to see that. And so when he says, hey, if you're struggling with sin and you're struggling to stay on track with the Lord to win over sin, 
If you're wrestling with this, 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 this challenge of trying to, to consistently live a godly life, then today's message is going to be critical for you. Uh, as, as God trains and, 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 and disciples us, he, he's going to do two different things, and this is going to be seen in today's passage. And here's kind of the crux of where this passage goes. He says, if you want to walk with me and you want to remain consistent with me, then there's two things that I'm going to do in your life. The, the first thing is this. I, I'm going to bring you face-to-face with my law. I'm going to show you what, what's expected of you. I'm, there's no hidden punches. There's no bait and switch. I want you to know what we're after. I want you to know this godliness that we're trying to create in you. And so I'm going to bring you face-to-face with my law. And I'm going to help you to see that you can't do it. And you say, well, that's kind of cruel to say, this is what I expect of you. And oh, by the way, you'll never be able to do that on your own. That seems discouraging, not encouraging. If God sets a standard that we can't meet, then then that can be discouraging if we continue to try to do that in our own strength. And so he's going to do a second thing. He's not going to just show us his law and how we fall short. But he's also going to call us into himself and say, let me be your strength. Let me be the, 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 the motivating factor. Let my love change you and shape you and make you into the man or the woman that I have created you to be. So when we ask the question, how can I walk consistently with Christ? How can I measure up to the standard that he wants me to meet? The, the answer is simple. You can't unless you come to him. You can't unless you are looking to him and, and you are seeing him as your only source of hope. It is only in us coming to Christ that, that we find that he will pour out his love and his mercy and his grace and his forgiveness that we need. And in that moment, we are strengthened and encouraged and motivated to walk with him for another day. So where many people mess up is this. They get the first part of that. They pick up their Bibles and they read and they go, oh man, this is what I'm supposed to be doing. And yikes, I am not even coming close. All right, here's what I got to do. I just got to double down. I got to get serious. I got to try harder. I've got to work at this. I've got to have a longer quiet time. I got to pray a little bit more. I've got to, man, I've got to avert my eyes from that temptation. I've got to, I've just got to strengthen myself and and make up my mind that I'm going to do this right. And that's where most of us mess up. We, We get the first part. We look in the mirror of the law and we see that we fall short. And then we say, okay, it's up to me. I've got to do this. And we run back to the law and we go, okay, Lord, show me where I'm falling short. And, and man, God's word reveals that. And it's, it's obvious. But the answer is not to look within us. The answer is not for us to, to try to double down and strengthen ourselves and to, to do it on our own. The answer is not what these Hebrew readers were, were trying to do, which is to run back to the law and, and to make up for their sinfulness. That was not the answer. It was not to go back to rules and regulations and and be bombarded with this fear of if I don't get it right, then I'm really in deep water. That's not the answer. But many people do that. Many people go back to the law and say, well, I just need to, to try harder. And there's really only one problem with that. You know what the problem is? It doesn't work. It just loads you down with more guilt and more shame, and it actually does the opposite of what you hope it will do, and that is it drives you from the presence of God. You you ever done it where you're trying to walk with God, and you sin, and you fail, and and you feel so ashamed, you don't even want to go in the presence of God where you need to be, but you want to run and hide from God like Adam and Eve did in the garden? That's what happens, is, is that when we try harder, and then we still fail, then we finally just throw up our hands and say, I can't, so why try? 
I can't, so why continue this, 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 this pursuit if I know I can't get it right? Hebrews chapter 12, the verses 18 to 29 that we're going to look at today, it illustrates this truth by using two different images. It uses the image of, of Mount Sinai, where Moses went to receive the Ten Commandments, and what the Bible calls Mount Zion, which is a picture of our heavenly home, this, this place that we are called to, this place that we are in, in, in journey to, this place where we will spend eternity with the Father. Uh, in, in, in Hebrew times, in, in, the, in the Bible times, the Mount Zion was kind of known as Jerusalem. It was a, another name for the city of Jerusalem and a place where the temple was built, where the people would go and worship the Lord. And so he's going to contrast for us Mount Sinai, where Moses received the law, and this Mount Zion where we meet the Lord. There's a lot of differences between these two. And it's going to illustrate the Old Covenant in the Old Testament and the New Covenant that Jesus established in the New Testament. And it's like I said, it's a confusing passage when you first read through it. It's something you go and you go, I don't know what that's saying. And sometimes we just skip over that stuff. But this is so rich what it's going to show to us today about the difference between these two. It's Mount Sinai where the law was given and the Old Covenant was established. And Mount Zion where, where, where this grace was poured out on us and a New Covenant was established. Now, again, remember why the book of Hebrews was written. It was written to these believers who were attempted to turn back to Judaism, back to the Old Covenant, back to their works, back to the law, and back to this, this Mount Sinai that, that, that they had heard about all of their lives. So let's read the first few verses of this, verses 18 to 21, chapter 12. So chapter 12, verse 18, he says, For you have not come to what may be touched. Now, Mount Sinai was a mountain that they could touch. In fact, it was a mountain that they were forbid to touch. A mountain they said, if you touch this mountain or your animals touch this mountain, they're dead. You go, whoo. Mount, Mount Sinai was a mountain that had a, a no trespassing sign posted at the foot of the mountain. And, and, and they roped it off. And they said, you can come this far, but you can't come any farther. That was Mount Sinai. And he says, you've not come to that kind of a mountain. You are believers in Christ. And, and, and you're not coming to the mountain that the old people came to in the Old Testament. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched, nor to a mountain that's blazing with fire and darkness and gloom and a tempest. All of those things, if you go back and read in Exodus chapter 19 and chapter 20, all of those things are, are a description of this mountain where God met Moses and gave him the Ten Commandments. It was a mountain that could be touched. It was a blazing fire. God's presence fell on top of that mountain in, in a blazing fire. There was darkness and there was gloom. There was a tempest and the sound of this trumpet blaring. And there was a voice, the voice of God, whose words made the hearers beg that no further messages be spoken to them, for they could not endure the order that was given. Here's the order. If even a beast touches the mountain, it will be stoned. Indeed, so terrifying was the sight that Moses said, I tremble with fear. The writer of Hebrews is saying, listen, that old covenant, it was, was built upon this mountain. It was given upon this mountain. It was, it was built upon this idea that, that, that you as a common person could not come into the presence of God. Only Moses was allowed to go up that mountain. And only Moses was allowed to go into the presence of God. And, and when the people heard the voice of God, they were so afraid. They said to Moses, tell God, stop, stop. Tell God not to speak anymore. We can't bear the sound of his voice. And they said this, Moses, you go listen to God, then you come back and talk to us. That's pretty convenient, by the way. Moses, you, you go listen to God, and you come back and tell us what God said. And if we don't like it, we'll argue with you. And we don't have to argue with God. 
Don't we do that sometimes? We, we don't want to pick up our Bible during the week and let God speak to us. We'll just come to church and listen to a preacher preach, and then if we don't like what he says, we'll argue with him. But we don't argue with God. And that's what the people did. They continued to grumble against Moses again. We don't like this, Moses. And Moses is like, hey, I'm just telling you what Jesus said. And they're like, I don't like it. And, and they turned against Moses. But he says, this is not the kind of God that you're coming to. That was what they experienced in the Old Testament. That was God holding up a mirror saying, here is my law. Here are my Ten Commandments. And here's how you are falling short. And great fear gripped the hearts of the people. It, it gripped their heart. It reminded them of how far short that they come. And yet we move forward now into the New Testament, and these, these believers that the writer of Hebrews is addressing, they, they have encountered the grace of God. They've been saved, and they've been brought into a relationship with Jesus, and yet they're, they're tempted to run back to the law so that they can work and show God how serious they are about their faith. And the writer of Hebrews is going to say this today. He's going to say, why in the world, having experienced grace, Mount Zion, the presence of God, why would you want to go back to that old way of relating to God. Why would you run back to that? Running back to the law and experiencing the fear that that law brought, the fear that they experienced at that mountainside, that never ever produces lasting change or victory in our lives. I need you to hear me this morning. This, this will, will, will revolutionize your walk with Jesus if you'll let it sink in, okay? Fear is never, never, never a lasting motivator for walking with Jesus. If you walk with Jesus because you're afraid if you don't, you'll go to hell. That's not a lasting motivation. If you walk with Jesus because you fear that something bad's going to happen if you don't walk with Jesus, that's not a lasting motivator. Fear is never a lasting motivator, and yet that's what many people have grown up with. Many people my age and, and a little bit older grew up in, in the era of the hellfire and the brimstone. And we're going to scare the hell out of you every week so that maybe you'll walk with Jesus. But then next week, I've got to scare a little more hell out of you so that you'll continue to walk with Jesus. And we, we get this, this thing set up to where we just, we just pound a week after week after week, and we tell you all these stories of all these terrible things that are going to happen if you don't walk with Jesus. And that's never a lasting motivation. I don't know what I did. I scared the hell out of this microphone. All right. It's a good, good thing we've got a smart tech team back there. They can fix this up. So here's what happens, is, is that he's saying to them, why in the world, after experiencing grace, would you want to go back to this old mountain? You've been brought to a brand new mountain. Now, there's some differences in the mountains, but, but the law can't change your heart. You can go back to the law, but the law can't change your heart. It's powerless to transform us. And if you want proof that the law and that fear cannot bring lasting change, you need to look no farther than the children of Israel. Okay, let's, let's paint the picture. They come to Mount Sinai. Moses is there. God descends. And God says, Moses, tell the people, don't come near this mountain. Don't set foot on this mountain or they will die. And, and they hear the, the thunder and the, and the roll. They hear the trumpets. They see the ground shake before them. All these tremendous things are taking place in their presence. And they are petrified. Petrified to the point they say, Moses, tell God to stop talking. Tell God to stop, to, to stop trying to talk to us. You just tell us what God says. We are scared to death. We are, we are fearful in the presence of God. 
God gives them the law. Moses goes on the mountain for 40 days. You know how long the fear motivated them? Not even 40 days. When Moses comes back down off the mountain, what does he find? The golden calf. Here's the people that are scared to death in the presence of God. And that only lasts a few short days. If your motivator for following Jesus is fear, it will never last. It will never hold up. Think about this, this Mount Sinai. It's the mountain where Moses gets the Ten Commandments. They, they rope it off from the people. They post this keep out sign there, and they say, don't touch. The fire falls, the earth shakes, the voice speaks, and, and the people tremble in fear, and it only lasts for 40 days. Why? Because fear is a terrible motivator. It, it only lasts as long as the fear lasts. Now listen, fear can serve a purpose. It causes us to see our deficiencies. And hopefully fear can cause us to seek a solution. That's the purpose of the Old Covenant, is to show us that that this is what God expects and this is where you're living, and there's no way for you to get from here to there. You're going to need a Savior. That's the purpose of the Old Covenant, is to show us that we fall short and that we can't save ourselves. Therefore, we need for God to do something to save us. That's the purpose of the Old Covenant, to to show us that that we need a solution, to show us that that we need somebody to step in and to do what we can't do for ourselves. But rules and regulations are not the solution. A relationship with Jesus is the solution. So if you're falling short in your walk with Jesus, you keep running back to more rules and more regulations. Tell me what I can do. Tell me what I can't do. When I was a youth minister, teenagers asked, what kind of music can I listen to? How far is too far on a date? Give me some regulations. Help me to know how far I can go and not tick God off. Some of us still live that way today. It's not about giving all of our heart to God. It's just giving God enough to keep him happy. Give him enough that maybe he'll pour out a blessing here or there. And this idea of being all in, sold out, 100% on board with Jesus, it gets drowned out by the rules and the regulations because we go, did I do enough today? Or if life starts to go bad, we're going, oh, what what did I forget to do? What did I do wrong? Why is God punishing me? And that's part of what's going on with with this people in the book of Hebrews is they're they're struggling and they're suffering and, 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 and they're going, wow, what are we missing? What are we not doing? Let's go back to the rules and look at them again and see where we're falling short. And so he says to him at the beginning of chapter 12, hey, listen, God's just, God's just training you. And he uses difficulties to do that. It's, it's, it may not even be your sin. It may just be that God's putting you through something so he can test you and prove you and, and show you what, what still needs to be done. So fear can cause us to seek the solution. But watch this. Love and grace convinces us we found it. Old Covenant, New Covenant. Mount Sinai, Mount Zion. Mount Sinai says, hey, you got a problem. You need to find an answer. Mount Zion, we come into the presence of God. Mount, Mount, Mount Sinai, get away. Stay out. Don't come near. Mount Sinai, Jesus rips the veil of the temple open. You're welcome to come now into the presence of God. And all those scriptures in the Bible that say, come boldly to the throne room of God to find the grace and the help that you need in your time of need. 
You're sinful, you're wickedness. Come and I will forgive you. Come and I will cleanse you. Come and I will make you my own. I'll claim you and I'll bless you and I'll make you my child and, and I'll be your father. And all these images. So, so you've got this one, this one mountain where it's roped off and you can't come near. And now in the new covenant, we've got this God who sits and says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden. Come and find rest for your souls. It's a contrast of these two mountains. And he says, I want you to do that. And fear over here on Mount Sinai says, you got a problem. But Mount Zion says over here, hey, here's the solution. Fear says, I got a problem. I need a solution. Love convinces us that we found that solution in Christ. So he contrasts these two mountains. Mount Sinai is given the law. Mount Zion, we find the grace. In, in, in Sinai, we see death. In Zion, we find life. On Mount Sinai, we're given commandments and judgments and, and condemnation. On Zion, we are offered forgiveness and atonement and salvation. Uh, Mount Sinai is roped off and it's forbidden and it's terrifying. And it's closed because of our sin and his holiness. On Mount Zion, access is granted. We are invited and encouraged to come. We find grace and forgiveness and mercy. The way has been opened because of what Jesus did on the cross, not because of what we do in our own strength. Mount Sinai, God is unapproachable. On Mount Zion, God is accessible because of Jesus. On Sinai, we find judgment and death. Zion, we find forgiveness and life. Mount Sinai is known for the covenant of law and the commandments that were given. On Mount Zion, we find the covenant of grace and love that God bestows freely upon us. The first covenant given on Mount Sinai brought law and fear and judgment. Now, it served a purpose. It revealed God's holiness it revealed our sinfulness, and it revealed our need for a Savior. So the first covenant was needed. The second covenant, however, brings grace and forgiveness and love. It provided the solution to the problem that the first covenant created. And it revealed the love of God for his children. So guys, listen, both covenants were needed. One to show us that we had a need and the other one to meet that need. We, we need to seek God's holiness. And we need to see it for what it is. But we also need to see our sinfulness. We need to understand our hopeless situation apart from Christ so that we can appreciate the, the provisions that he makes through the new covenant. If I don't know how dead in my sin that I am, then I won't appreciate the life that Jesus has to offer. If I don't realize that I can't do this on my own, then what Jesus does for me is just like, oh, thanks, man. Save me a little effort there. Make sense? So we need to see both covenants to be able to do that. But it's not enough for me to see his holiness and my sinfulness. It's not enough for me to understand that I've got a need that somehow needs to be met. I also need to see God's solution. And that comes to us in this new covenant. Grace that comes through faith in Christ, who was our sacrificial lamb, who died in our place, taking our sin upon him. That's what we need to know. And we need to know God's love for us 
uh, as it's demonstrated through him sending his only son. So fear can make known and, and cause us to seek the solution to our sin. But love and grace convinces us that we have found that answer. So here's this audience that he's writing to who've experienced this grace. And yet they've sinned and fallen short. They've got guilt that's, that's on them. And instead of running back to God, they're now running back to the law and saying, let us show God that we're serious. Let us show God that we, we, we want to do better. Let us, let us make it up to God. By going back to the law. And these guys are considering running back to that law. And he's asking them this question in this passage. Why in the world would you want to run back to death and to judgment and to fear and to guilt and to shame? When what God has to offer you on this mountain is his grace and his forgiveness and his strength to overcome those things in your life. Why would you go back? Why would you do that? He's saying, why go back? Why do you think that that fear and that judgment and that rules can sustain your faith? They can't sustain you. And they won't motivate you for very long. The solution for victory over sin is is not returning to the law. It's not living under the guilt and the fear that that law brings. It's drawing near to the heart of God. That is a motivating force. Recognizing that Jesus paid our debt, that God calls us to himself, that he invites us to come into his presence and to find in him everything that we need to live this life of of, of holiness for him. And so it's recognizing Jesus paid our debt. It's recognizing that God wants us to come into his presence, even in our sinfulness. Because when we walk into the presence of God as believers, we walk in covered in the righteousness of Christ. He doesn't see our filthy rags. Those have been removed. All of our efforts at righteousness, all of that stuff, is, it doesn't matter. It doesn't make us righteous. Our, our very best, the Bible says, is still like filthy rags. And so we come into the presence of God clothed in the righteousness of Christ, and God sees us, and he cares for us, and he pours out that grace upon us. And we come to understand that God's love for us is more amazing than anything we could ever experience in this life. The thing that sustains our faith on the tough days, on the days when we failed and fall short, is not returning to the law and the fear that it brings, but running to God and experiencing his love and his grace and his forgiveness. Let me say this to you this morning. People that become true disciples of Jesus, who are all in, I mean, who are walking all in with God. They become true disciples not because they're afraid of God. It's not the fear of what God might do to you that stirs your heart to love God. So they become true disciples not because they're afraid of God but because in Christ they've discovered a love like no other. Don't don't follow God out of a fear of hell. That's not going to last very long. Let's just just play that out. If I'm going to follow God and try to do right and do better and be moral and be upright because I don't want to go to hell, 
then let's say that even if I come to the place in my life now where I, I said, you know what, I realize I can't save myself, I need Jesus to save me, and I commit my life to Jesus Christ and say, I want you to be my Lord and Savior, and I become a believer. Well, at that moment, when I become a believer, then hell's off the question, off the table, right? That's been taken care of. So what becomes my motivator to continue on with God? But isn't that where many Christians, the, the people that call themselves Christians, end up? They're, they're over here, and they hear this message that we are sinners, and we deserve hell, and, and one day we're going to go to hell unless we turn our hearts to Jesus. So we say, I want to give my heart to Jesus. And then once hell is out of the equation, and, and we've given our hearts to Jesus, and hell's no longer an issue, we go, well, I'm cool. Why change? Why pursue God any farther? I've already got what I want. So now I can have my cake and eat it too. I, I, can, I, can, I, can, I, I can say I'm not going to go to hell and I'll just kind of live life. You know, I'll be moral and I'll be decent, but I don't have to pursue God anymore. Fear will only take you so far. And so we, we don't follow him because we are afraid of hell. We follow him because his love for us is irresistible. His love for us is unlike any other kind of love that we've ever experienced in our lives. Listen to this. Sin in your life ought to be repulsive, not because you're afraid of the consequences. Think about that. You shouldn't resist sin because you're just afraid of the consequences. But you should resist sin because it is offensive to the one that you love. In your marriage, men, if the only reason you stay true to your wife is that you're afraid you might get caught and embarrassed, you'll be true for a little while until you think you're smart enough to find a way around getting caught. Men do that all the time. I'll just get a second phone and she won't know. I'll just wait till she's here and then I'll go there. I'll just, and we come up with all these great ways to do what we want to do without getting caught. So if your only motivation for, for not sinning is that you're afraid of the consequences, then you'll convince yourself that you can do it in a way that you won't get caught and that you won't get busted. But we don't do that. In, in our marriages, we are faithful to our spouse, not because we're just afraid of getting caught, but because we are deeply in love with the one we're married to. And when that love is rich, that temptation is not. But when that love is shallow, then those temptations grow. And if the only motivator that we got is a fear that we're going to get caught and exposed and embarrassed, if that's our only motivation, then, then that's a poor motivator, and we will not stay married long. If avoiding hell is your motivation... That's not going to last for long. But if love is your motivation, think about this. If love is the reason that you reject sin, if love is the reason that you build some parameters in your, in your life to keep you on track and to help you to pursue the Lord even, even more than you are right now, if love is your motivator, then you will be eternally motivated because as that love grows, so does that motivation. Here's the thing. If you need fear and guilt and hell and fire and brimstone to motivate you, then chances are your understanding of God's grace is lacking. 
you don't fully understand how much you're loved. You don't fully understand what he has done to bring you into that relationship with him. You don't fully understand all the strength and the power and and, and all the stuff that he has to offer you to help you become a godly man or a godly woman. If you need the guilt and the fear to motivate you, then you don't understand God's grace as fully as you ought to. You need a fresh glimpse of God's grace. More fear is not the answer. That doesn't generate love. 1 John chapter 4, verses 18 and 19. Let me share these verses with you because it it talks about the difference between love and, and fear. Verse 18, he says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love, what? Cast out fear. Perfect love cast out fear, for fear has to do with punishment. It's a poor motivator. And whoever fears has not been perfected in love. But we love because he first loved us. If you need fear to keep you on track, that will never produce the results that that God's after. What God wants, guys, is for us to love him the way he loves us. So you know what he did? He first loved us and showed us what that love looks like. And and so if you're finding it difficult to to be motivated to to live a godly life, if you're finding it difficult to to be able to to, to walk consistently with God day after day, if you find yourself in that position, then, then what you need is not more fear and guilt. You need more love. You need to understand the depths of God's love for you because when that sinks in and when that becomes real, then that becomes the motivator that, that the more you love, the, the more you're motivated. The more you love, the more you're motivated. And that continues to grow. And that's an eternal motivator in our lives. Perfect fear, perfect love drives out fear. Let's go back to the second part of our passage in Hebrews real quick and look at this. Verses 25 to 29. You haven't come to this Mount, Mount uh, uh, Sinai, but you've come to this mountain that... Well, let me, let, me just, let me go back here. Look at this. He says in verse 22, You've come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, to the heavenly Jerusalem, to these angels that are they're gathered in festival gathering, and to the assembly of the firstborn. That's the other believers who are enrolled in heaven. You've come to God, to the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, and to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. You've come to a different mountain. You've come to a different, a different place. Now, here's the deal, guys. You've got you to follow this. If, if this is where they were in the Old Testament, over here on Mount Sinai, and, and you can't come close and you can't draw near and you can't stand the voice of God, and yet we're called to Mount Zion where we are gathered together with other saints, we are, we are put into the body of Christ, we are in the presence of God, we are sitting there beside the Lord worshiping at his feet, what, what is the difference? Has God compromised his holiness? Because what kept them away over here was their sinfulness and God's holiness. Well, has, has our sinfulness changed? Are we better than they are? No. Has God changed his standard, his holiness? No. So what's happened between the two mountains? That's right, Miss Nancy, it's Jesus. That's what's happened. And that's what's made the difference. What's made the difference is not that God changed the standard or said, okay, 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 I've been a little harsh, let me just make it easier on you. 
Or it's not that God's looking down and said, hey, you guys are a whole lot smarter, a whole lot better than those guys in the Old Testament. What, what's changed between the old mountain and the new mountain is Jesus. And he has made a way for us to come into the presence of God. And so we are there in the, in the presence of him. And Jesus is the one that's made that whole difference. His love displayed on the cross for us to see that motivates us to, to want to love him backwards, to love him back. And so he says here in verse 25, see that you do not refuse him who is speaking to you. This Jesus whose blood speaks a better word than any other word that's been spoken. For if they didn't escape in the Old Testament when they refused him on, on the old mountain, when the people refused God, the ground opened up and swallowed them. They, they died in the wilderness. They missed the promised land that God was trying to take them to because they would not respond to his voice. He says, don't do that. God is speaking to you by grace. Don't refuse him. If, if they didn't escape in the Old Testament, why do you think that you'll escape? From the one that warns us from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth. But he's promised there's another shaking coming. Once more, I'll shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. And this phrase, yet once more, indicates the removal of all things that are shaken. That is, the things that have been made. There's going to be a great sifting. A separation of the sheep and the goats. This, 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 this time where, where all of our works and all of our stuff will be tested by fire. And, and the wood, hay, and the straw will be, will be gone. And, and all that will be left is the, is the gold and the silver and the precious stones. He says, that time is coming. There's a time coming when I'm going to shake the heavens. Not just the earth, but I'm going to shake the heavens. There's going to be a great separation that takes place. But you don't have to worry about that as a believer, he says. That fear is not to be your motivator. What is to motivate you is what Jesus has done on the cross for you. Grace comes to us through Jesus Christ. And the only way for us to stand in the presence of a holy God is by that grace. And that grace comes through the work of Jesus, not through our works. Through his righteousness, not our righteousness. The law shows us what holiness looks like. And love and grace motivates us to pursue that holiness. But until we allow that grace to capture our hearts and his love to motivate our behavior, we will continue to fall short and be held in this prison of fear. But perfect love casts out all fear. So here's what I would say to you today. If you're here today and you recognize your sinfulness, you've looked at the Bible enough to know that you are a sinner who falls short from what God intends. What you need today is not more guilt. What you need today is not more fear. What you need today is to take a deeper, longer look at Jesus on that cross. And as you look at that cross, you need to say to yourself, there's nobody that's loved me like that. There is nobody who has ever loved me like that. And you need to run to Jesus. For Jesus and Jesus alone has the power to transform your heart. You don't need more rules. You need a deeper relationship with Jesus. Listen, guys, we know that we're sinful. We know that we have fallen short. Some of us are so ashamed of the things that we've done in life, we've never told a soul. But what we need is Jesus and his grace. We run to him and watch him begin to transform our heart. His love that he poured out on that cross for you and me evokes our love being given back to him. Him and him alone, that love that he's shown us is, is the sole motivator for, for who we are and who we, who we need to become. It's his love for us that can motivate the response that we read in verse 28. Look at this as we close. 
says, because of what Jesus has done, because of the blood that he shed that was sprinkled and, and shed for you, therefore let us be grateful for receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken. And then let us offer to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. What's he saying? Don't let fear be your motivator. Let the love of Christ be the thing that motivates you to pursue God with all of your heart. Guys, listen, every other motivator will, will fall short. But in Christ, we find a, a love like no other love. In him, we, we see this, this, this call not to run back to the, the old covenant, but to run into the presence of God. Fear may serve the purpose of causing you to look for a solution. We don't need to abandon the old covenant. We don't need to stop holding high God's expectations and God's, God's uh, 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 call for us to be holy. We don't need to get rid of that. But we can't allow that just to be our sole motivator. We've got to look at the new covenant. So we meet God on Mount Sinai, and we realize that we're in trouble. And then we discover God on Mount Zion with his arms open wide, with a way made for us to come into his presence. And the grace that covers all of our sin. And we say, that's the love that I've never known. And that's the love that I want to live in. And that's the love that I want to motivate what I do every single day. So fear may cause us to look for a solution, but his love convinces us that we have found it. Is that what motivates you today? Is that what gets you out of bed and causes you to walk with Jesus? Or are you still looking at just a bunch of rules and regulations and saying, oh, I've got to read my Bible or God's going to be mad. I've got to say a prayer or something bad's going to happen. I've got to love my wife or, you know, there's going to be consequences. Let love be your motivator in your relationship with God but also in our relationship with others and if we will do that as the love grows the motivation grows and that will carry us through to eternity when we will be gathered there in that Mount Zion at the feet of the Lord in the city of the living God that heavenly Jerusalem gathered with all the saints and all the angels worshiping the Lord for all eternity and and doing so with a grateful heart that offers to God acceptable worship with reverence and awe. That's what he's after. And that's where the writer of Hebrews is trying to take his readers to this place that they don't run back to that fear, but that they settle in with God's grace. What motivates you? There's a lot of good things you can be doing. Memorizing scripture, witnessing to your friends. What, what motivates you to do all those things? Is it fear? Fear of disappointing God? Or is it because you're so in love with God, you just want more of his word hidden in your heart? You just want more people to know about this great God who loves us beyond our wildest imagination. What is it that motivates you? Let it be God's love and God's grace. And I'll tell you what, you'll find a strength to do things you never thought you could do. Because when your heart's engaged, the rest of you is engaged. 
And that's where you really make changes. Let's pray.